About two years ago, I received a phone call from a friend who had gotten a job in financial advising. And he asked me if I'd given any thought into retirement planning. At 23 years old, I hadn't really thought about retiring. It wasn't anywhere on my radar, especially considering I wasn't a deacon yet, I wasn't a priest. But his question got me thinking about financial readiness. So I started asking questions like, what does a priest retirement look like? Do I have to pay into it? Should I maybe just stick it out in the military for 20 years as a chaplain to, to get my retirement that way? So as someone who has always wanted to be prepared for the future, the anxiety had gotten the better of me. But sometimes that anxiety is a good thing. And today's gospel can definitely stir up some of that same anxiety. And to be honest, when I first sat down to look at the readings, I was just absolutely confused about why Jesus says what he says. Why is he complimenting this dishonest steward who was stealing from him? It doesn't make much sense to me. You, you compliment someone from doing evil to you? It, I didn't get it. So if you're in the same boat, it's okay. Don't freak out. We'll get through it. What happens is that this reading makes more sense if we look at it in the context of some of the words and then also with what's the message? What's the point? What's the goal of this reading? And so Jesus is specifically addressing the disciples in this passage. And the last time he does this was four chapters ago in Luke's gospel. And so to kind of put us in the setting, um, you have the disciples he's addressing, but you also have the Pharisees who are in earshot. All right, he's kind of in the same location he's been the last few Sundays. All right, so he's talking to the crowds, he's talking to the disciples this time specifically, but he wants the Pharisees to hear what he's saying. He's not addressing them directly, but he wants them to hear this. He wants them to be aware of the difference between the honest steward, which we heard recently, and then the dishonest steward. And so just to warn you, I'll be using a few Greek words today, but I'm going to explain them as we go. So in both instances, four chapters ago and then also in this gospel today, Jesus is talking about stewardship. And the word he uses for steward in Greek is oikonomos. It means the law of the house. We get it from the Greek word oikos, which is home, and nomos, law. It's also where we get the English word economy, the law of the house. So Jesus is describing discipleship as the responsibility for both material and spiritual wealth. And we've been seeing this for the last few Sundays, looking at, you know, do we have our ducks in a row? Do we have what we need to get through the narrow gate? Things like that. So if we look at this steward, especially in the context of that word, you know, law of the house, the steward's job is to oversee the master's resources, to oversee everything that the master owns, the checkbooks or whatever they had back then as, as a, a banking account, you know, the material wealth, any kind of possessions. He was in charge of all these things. And if you remember last Sunday, we heard about the prodigal son and he squandered his share of his father's wealth. And oddly enough, the same word is used in the Greek, and I won't even try to say this Greek word because it was too difficult, but the same words used to describe the prodigal son and the steward with the sense that they squandered. They were both irresponsible. And because they're irresponsible, the steward, he's been dishonest. He's been cooking the books. He's been taking off the top some. And so when he's finally caught, he's asked to give an account of his sin. And so what he does is he comes up with a very self-centered plan. And notice he says he's physically unable to do any manual work. He says, I cannot dig. And he's also too proud to be counted among the poor. I am ashamed to beg. 
So what's he going to do? He goes back to the same thing he was already caught doing. He goes right back to stealing. Reminds me of something Winston Churchill once said, if you're going through hell, keep going. If I've already been caught stealing, I'm going to keep doing it. That's exactly what he does. So he resorts to the same thing. He steals from the master to pay off the master's debtors so that they will be indebted to him. You see how he does that? So if he's got to cut ties with his master in some way, he's going to get some kind of ties with somebody else. He's making sure that he is taken care of for after he's fired. And for doing this, the master calls him shrewd, or the Greek word is phronimos. It's the same word that Jesus once used to describe the faithful and prudent servant. He's shrewd. And so this is kind of what explains why Jesus, or why we can say the master, compliments the steward. He says, what you did was evil, and it was wrong, but I have to admit it was clever. (laughs) The fact that you were able to provide for yourself, even though you knew I was about to fire you. And the reason why he does this, he's impressed. He's impressed with the steward's foresight. The steward had an ability to see that he's about to get let go. He's about to get detached from his current um, situation, from what's taking care of him. And so he knows that I have to prepare for the future. I have to make sure that I'm taken care of, even though I did something wrong. And so he had foresight. He was shrewd. And so if we think of Jesus as the master in this passage and think of ourselves as the steward, we see a whole new level of meaning. Oftentimes, we find ourselves as the imprudent steward. God puts us as stewards over several different things, whether it's material, whether it's spiritual. He has us exercise responsibility over many things. And sometimes we are irresponsible with those things. And so another really cool word in here is that the Greek word for master is kurios. We say that almost all the time in mass when we use the the Greek form of the kyrie. That's what we call it, the Kyrie, Lord have mercy, Kyrie eleison. Oh, we probably should be saying Kyrie, so the real pronunciation. And the reason we use this word in in the passage, and Jesus is really aware of of the wordplay here, he wants us to see him as the master. There's a connection here. If you look in the language, he wants us to see him as the master, to see ourselves also as the steward. He wants that to be evident. And the catch here is that he wants us to take advantage of his wealth like the dishonest steward did, especially when we mess up. Why? Because that wealth is his love and mercy. The reason he wants us to take advantage of that is because of what the wealth is. It's his love and his mercy. So he wants us, if we fear losing our place in heaven, he wants us to have the same foresight as the steward to figure out how we can use his wealth for our own security. He wants us to tap into that. And so with that in mind, I want us to consider the last phrase of this gospel, which says, you cannot serve both God and mammon. Or in other words, you could say, you cannot serve both God and money. Mammon is just the Aramaic term for money. So with election season coming upon us, I want to take an opportunity to warn you about the dangers of treating money as God or a God. And I've preached about this at Daily Mass, and I think we all need to hear it. Uh, There's been a lot of commotion lately in the news, on social media, about socialism. It's everywhere, especially with the the debates coming up. That a lot of the candidates for different offices are embracing some form of socialism. And I've even heard some people try to politicize Christ by saying that Jesus was a socialist. He favored the poor, you know, he he talks about giving to the poor. And the thing is, by trying to call him a socialist, it's just wrong. 
It's not properly characterizing what Jesus came to do and who he is. We hear passages in the Bible say things like, whoever does not work should not eat, that we need to work for the bread we eat. And the problem with unfettered socialism, and when I say unfettered, I mean irregulated or sometimes inordered, it's disordered, that it's not ordered towards the right thing. What happens is we tend to have this, this concept of my neighbor has more than me, and because we have the same dignity as humans, I should have the same as he does. Where we equate our worth with what we have materially. And the thing is, coveting is, is one of, it's the ninth commandment, thou shalt not covet. And that's the basis for the sense of socialism, that I'm envious of what my neighbor has. And that envy is one of the seven deadly sins. So now you may be thinking, aha, so Jesus was a capitalist after all. No, he wasn't a capitalist either. In fact, if I had to put a title on this homily, it would be, was Jesus a capitalist or a socialist? And the answer is no, he was neither. And the reason is this, capitalism has its drawbacks also. It has its vices. Anything can tend towards a certain vice, tends toward a certain sin, if it's not rooted in a virtue. So what happens with unfettered or unregulated, disordered capitalism is that it can tend to turn humanity into merchandise. That the dollar becomes almighty God. And a person who does not practice this virtue can easily tend towards the vice of greed. I think I've probably said this before, that virtue is the medium between two extremes. I think I've used the example, if you eat too much, that's bad for you. And if you don't eat enough, that's also bad for you. That virtue is finding that prudent middle way. It's the same thing with these two things. That a person can easily hoard their wealth at the expense of another who is trying to work honestly for what they have, but still trying to make ends meet. And this greed, this vice, is also one of the seven deadly sins. So I hope you can see that both of these things, if they're not rooted in virtue, can tend towards a vice. Anything can do that. The bottom line is we cannot politicize religion. We can't put Jesus in a box. And I saw a video on Facebook a few weeks ago. It was Prager University, and they were trying to say that, um, that Jesus was not a socialist. They're trying to debunk that myth. And they did great for a while until they say that Jesus was actually a capitalist. And I'm like, no, <laughs> you were doing great until you said that. Because he's neither. What Jesus is always doing is he's taking two paths. He's taking two options. And he's pointing out what's bad with both. And it's also what's good with both and saying there's a middle way. That Jesus is not a politicized person. We can't try to fit him into our own political and economic preferences. It has to be the other way around. Instead of having the, the, the politics and the economics up here and having Jesus here, we have to turn it the other way around. Everything has to be ordered to Christ. If he is not the source, then everything's going to get warped. That's when everything gets rooted in vice and not virtue. So yes, we should work honestly for what we have and what we want, but we also have to be truly generous. And mandating that someone give who has more to someone who has less is not generosity. That's not affirming a person's human dignity. What affirms a person's dignity is when you recognize that they're a brother or sister in Christ and you give from the heart. Because there's a sense of love there. There's a sense of virtue being practiced. There's no virtue if I'm being mandated to give from someone to another. There is virtue when I realize that I have a gift. I am a steward of something that is not truly mine. And to share that with somebody simply because I love that person. That's the middle route here. And so while today's gospel urges us for a plan for our own spiritual security, I'd like to challenge us to take 
one more step further, not just our own security, but to be mindful of those around us, to make sure that if we are one body, we're taking care of that body. And I use this analogy with married couples. I say when two spouses, they form a triangle, you have God at the top and you have the two spouses here. The closer they get to God, the closer they're getting to each other. It's the same thing with us, that the closer we all move as a people of God towards the Lord, the easier it is to love one another, the more that we're practicing virtue. It's the same concept. So we're the hands and feet of Christ. We have to plan for the, the security of the whole body, to truly be aware of, of needs, but to also be truly generous, to work honestly, but to be aware of the needs of others. Because when one body part suffers, the whole body suffers. We hear St. Paul talk about this, that if one member is in pain, the whole body suffers from it, either mentally, spiritually, physically. There's all kinds of dimensions because we're an integral whole. Same thing when the body's healthy and the body's taken care of, the whole body, mind, spirit, everything rejoices as one being. And so I challenge you to serve God above all else. Put him as the gate. Remember that narrow gate from the gospel a couple weeks ago, all right? We can't try to fit the gate through the politics. We have to fit our preferences through that cross-shaped gate because that's what's gonna help us to shed off what's holding us back. Serve God above all else and not the mammon, not the money of the world.